Hey everyone, good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, my name is Joel, I'm one of the pastors here, and I uh, hope you're having a good 4th uh, of July weekend. Uh, I am going to uh, guess we got a bunch of people that are maybe watching, maybe you're watching from the lake, the lake cabin or something like that, so we just hope you're having a, a good weekend wherever it is that you're um, hanging out here. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started with our message for this morning. Lord, thank you for... Um, uh, coming and being with us, um, we're going to talk about the ways in which you, you come and meet us truly and, and fully uh, in yourself. Um, help us to be fixated on you this morning, God, um, which we'll be uh, talking about in this message, God. Be, so be with us as we, as we study that and then we learn uh, what that truly looks like for us and to not get distracted by other things, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we are in this series uh, in the book of Jeremiah, calling it Build and Plant. If you remember in our first sermon, we talked about how the message or the, 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 the call that Jeremiah has is to go and to build and to plant. Um, but first, uh, if you remember, he says, you're going to have to uproot and tear down before you can do that. There are weeds in the garden. There are other things that have been built that have to kind of go down so that you have space to build and plant what I want you uh, to, to build and plant. And today, what I, I want us to focus on is one of the main things that we often need to uproot and tear down in our lives so that we can follow and Jesus. And that's the sense of security or safety that we can oftentimes build up in something else that maybe God has given us, but they can't often uh, provide it. So we can have this sort of sense of things in our lives that give us the safety or security that we might think, you know, this thing is, is too big to fail. Now, I don't know if you have heard that um, term before, too big to fail, can, we, can you move the slides forward? I, I, the clicker's not working here. Thank you. Um, so it, it was like a, it, it, it gets thrown out a lot of times in regards to like, uh, fi- you know, companies and financial systems. I don't know if you remember like the 2008 uh, housing crisis. The government was buying like distressed assets of, of large companies to keep them afloat out of fear. The whole financial system would collapse. Um, and so anyway, this term would get thrown out to describe some of these companies. They were too big to fail. I really don't want to get into the minutia of that because it very quickly become clear I don't understand a lot of it. Um, but that term, I think, is helpful for us. Like the idea of something being too big to fail is helpful for us to kind of understand the passage and what's going on there, okay? Um, when you look back at that stuff, like people were afraid that these banks were, were too big to feel, fail because a lot of people's safety... Um, relied on them, their safety or their security, at least they thought, was kind of tied up in the fate of these banks. And so we had to do whatever we could to make sure nothing happened to these banks. Um, And that was safety just to go out their daily lives, to plan for the future, all these different things, right? Now, whether or not that's true, like I know people like to debate that, that's not really the point, but that idea is what I want us to talk about today. Because I think we put this into our own lives sometimes, things that we might think this thing is too big to fail. Like my sense of security or safety in my day-to-day life and how I think about the future is kind of wrapped up in this, the presence of this thing in my life. And oftentimes, that's something that God might have actually given to us, okay? So for me, let me give an example of, of this. Um, I can think of a relationship that I was in back in college that I often thought was this, 
was something that like God had given me. Like I thought it was a really important, actually, aspect of my relationship to God. It was kind of like a, a, you know I put a lot of reliance on it. I, I honestly felt like I was owed it for a lot of different reasons. Um, and it was the symbol that I thought showed me that God loved me, that I would have triumph in everything that I went through. Um, I had hope for the future, and I kind of felt secure in everything else. Like the presence of this relationship in life means everything else is going to be okay. Okay, and I know that because I can look at this relationship. And in a sense, like, I kind of almost had a gospel story tied to this thing. Um, it was a story of God blessing me for being, you know, so great. Like, I really thought I was really great because I had gotten this relationship. I thought, like, some of my, even my conduct in making it possible was something God was blessing me for. Um, and so this relationship gave me a lot of security. Um, I thought, I really, truly thought this, like, this relationship was too big to fail. Like, I really thought there, there, that this thing that God had given me that showed me how much he loved me and that everything was always going to be okay, that my faith really rested on in a lot of ways. I, w- I felt so secure in that that I thought there's no way that this is not going to go, you know, the, the perfect Hollywood marriage, like, you know, route. So you can, uh, I'm about to tell you, this isn't Julie that this relationship is with, okay? Maybe you kind of guessed that already. So you can imagine I went through a pretty like gnarly crisis of faith when God like let this thing fail, right? He kind of uprooted and tore down this gospel story that I had built into my life thinking, you know, all the stuff I was just talking about. Um, and I was really floored by that. Like I, I thought this thing was too big to fail. I didn't know how my faith could really rest with God without this thing in my life. Um, and, it, you know, it really made me rethink who God was. Like, I did a kind of a lot of deconstruction around that time. We did a deconstruction, kind of rebuilding around Jesus' um, uh, sermon series about a year ago. And, like, a, one of the big periods of my life where I've done that kind of came as a result of this happening in my life. Um, and, and so I had to wrestle with this, 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 basically God telling me, like, you thought this thing that you built and planted was too big to fail. You thought it was a sign of something that I never made it a sign of. And so you, I'm going to take this thing and make you rethink everything about me. I'm going to make you rethink what you really put your hope and security and safety in. Now, this happens sometimes. And when it does, it can leave a lot of like damage, sometimes trauma in, in its wake because we are good at this. We are good at putting our safety or security in other things sometimes really good things that God has given us, that God has actually told us to hold in high regard, but it kinda, we kind of lose the plot. We kind of lose what the real gospel story is because of these things. And that's what's going on in, um, in Judah in Jeremiah's time. Okay? In Jeremiah's time, some parts of their civic and religious life um, were, were too big to fail in their mind. And this especially include, included the temple in Jerusalem. So the temple, it's hard to kind of understate the importance of the temple for the people of God in Israel, okay? It was where the very necessary actions of atonement and purification happened. Uh, the king worked in, kind of in tandem with the temple and the people who ran it, the, the priests, um, to kind of accomplish just important things in the life of the people of Israel. It was like the town square, the temple gate was. Like, so you would kind of go and hang out and you talk with people and you meet up with people there. It was just kind of where, where you know, things happened and, and things got done and you met up with people just for social life to happen, and most importantly, it was the place where God dwelt with his people, okay? 
literally in Hebrew, there is no word for temple. That's a word we use to describe this type of thing. But the Hebrew word is just God's house or God's palace. Okay? It was this, just the place that God lived. So they understood, man, the center of the universe is here where God is living. And he's living in this, this house, this building that is right here. So if you imagine that that's true of the city that you live in and the, the, place, the region of the world that you live in, you would understand why the, the people in Judah would maybe think that as long as the temple stands, as long as this house that God lives in and as God has given us to center our world around, as long as that's there, we're going to be safe from anything, any foreign invasion, anything like that. Because God, God would not let this thing get destroyed, right? There's no way he would do that, right? Of course, he's going to keep that safe. And so as long as the temple stands, it kind of becomes a symbol of security that they were the good guys, loved by God, at, no matter what. And it caused their conduct uh, to kind of fall by the wayside. They kind of really didn't see any urgency or sense of, like, it matters that we actually follow God and, 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 because this is acting as a kind of shield for them, okay? Their actual worship, the state of their hearts are taking a back seat to this symbol. As long as it stands, they kind of don't take anything else super seriously, we, we find out, okay? So God, looking to uproot and to tear down so that he can build and plant, sends Jeremiah to attempt to set them straight, Okay? And this is told to us in, in a couple chapters, actually, in Jeremiah 26 and Jeremiah 7. So Jeremiah 26 is kind of the narrative side of that. Jeremiah 7 is kind of giving us what the actual message uh, was. Okay? So Jeremiah 26, 1 and 2. Early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard of the Lord's house and speak to all the people of the towns of Judah who come to worship in the house of the Lord. So Jeremiah's supposed to post up like New Timberwolves Center, Rudy Gobert uh, in the low post, waiting for people to come uh, to the temple and catch their, uh, their attention with, uh, with this message, which is told to us in Jeremiah 7. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Notice that repetition there, that, that phrase, this is the temple of the Lord, the house of the Lord, three times in a row. When you read it, it kind of sounds like, like a lucky charm or like, you know, like a phrase, like an incantation you would say to kind of, you would, you would say to calm yourself down or to remind yourself or other people of something that is true, Right? Okay, you can go on, you know, websites today. I actually looked some of these up before, and like you can find, it's very easy to find things like lucky charms like that. You can, you know, amulets or talismans, things that you can kind of just put around you to keep you safe as long as the presence is there, all right? And you maybe would use some magic words that would kind of like help you unlock that power or something like that, right? That's kind of what the people of Judah are, are, seem to be doing here. Okay, they have this thing, its presence is there, and they kind of, you know, have the, it seems like they maybe even had this, like, incantation that they would use, or these, these words that they would say to remind them, oh, we're safe as long as this thing is here. As long as this temple is standing, everything is going to be just fine. But God calls these deceptive words, and he says this, 
if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow the gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, this temple, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house? which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. So here's what God's saying. You've taken this thing that I gave you, which, which is good, which is important. It is central to how I have told you to follow me. It was supposed to facilitate this rich and vibrant relationship and connection with the dwelling God, but you've turned it into a symbol of something that isn't true. It's propped up as if it matters, but you have made it by your actions, by your your refusal to actually truly worship and follow me in the way that I have uh, called you to. You've made it worthless. You've polluted it by your false piety. If I really was active in your midst, Okay? If, I was really, if you were really acting towards this place, like I was living here, okay, you would not deal unjustly with one another. You would not oppress the foreigner as inferior to you. You would not shed innocent blood. You would not be following other gods. You wouldn't be living this double life where you come to this place and you appear one way and as soon as you walk out the door, you're living as if you're a total pagan. Your fruit would match your hearts if that were the case. And so instead, you have turned this house of mine into a sick parody of what it's supposed to be. And I'm not okay with it. And therefore, this house is not too big to fail. I am prepared to let it fall. And that's what he tells them. And he he reminds them, actually, he had done this before, apparently, in a place called Shiloh. Now go now to the place of Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. So Shiloh, we don't actually know that much about it. Actually, a lot of what we know about it comes from this, but it was a place where Israel's central sanctuary had once been, you can read about that like in 1 Samuel 1 to 4, um, but we, knew, we know it had been destroyed. That's all we really know about it, and we don't know when or how. Here, though, God claims responsibility for that. He says, kind of the same thing was happening before, and I let this place get destroyed. And so what happened in the past becomes predictive now for the people of Judah. And if we skip ahead to the very end of the book of, uh, of Jeremiah, like God cashes in on this promise of what he will let happen to his temple. So Jeremiah 52, uh, 12 to 13, the commander of the Babylonian guard came to Jerusalem and he set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem and every important building he burned down to the ground. So everything that Jeremiah has been saying here does happen. The temple does not keep them safe. They find, they have, they find out the hard way that, um, that God was willing to let this place fall and they could not use it as a shield, as, a, as something that would keep them safe no matter what they did, no matter what it looked like for them to worship and follow uh, God. 
So here's the big idea, and here's what I want to talk about the rest of the sermon. Nothing for God is too big to fail, okay? We're almost nothing. We'll talk about that here at the very end, all right? But, but really, the God is willing to let this stuff happen when it comes to us actually following him truly, actually uh, following him in a way that causes us to find life and flourishing relationship with the dwelling God when we let something kind of become ultimate. Because God is about revealing himself and his gospel and his love to us. That, ultimately, him, himself, his love, that's the center. He's not beholden to what he's done in the past when we turn it into something that he never intended it to be. Even the best things, even amazing things that were started off as well-intentioned, like the temple itself, can become corrupted. They can become a sort of gospel story of their own and create distance between us and God. And while we may think their presence makes us the good guys who can do no wrong, no matter how much we're actually watching our conduct or our worship, um, that can happen. Because obviously the temple, it was created by God. It was made, he was the one who said, I want this place to kind of be the center of my relations with you, okay? Mediating my presence with you, okay? But the people of God started to see this building, as an end in itself and not as a pointer to God himself. And so just like that relationship I talked about earlier, um, you know, where, where we maybe say, if this thing is here, I'm good, everything is fine, kind of missing what God has actually said, because we often do the same, and it takes on a life of its own, God will let that thing fail. God is not afraid to do that. And you can think of a lot of examples of stuff that might kind of come into our lives and, and take on this role, causing us, you know, something that maybe God was even has given to us or has told us to do, right, for some purpose to connect us to him, but it becomes, it takes on a life of its own and kind of comes in, becomes an end in, in and of itself, okay? So relationships, I talked about that earlier. We can do this with relationships where like your gospel story your story of who God is and how he relates to you becomes focused on this other story and you start to like, let this thing kind of take over you actually following or worshiping Jesus. It can become disciplines or rhythms or practices that we might have to connect ourselves to God, right? Things like worship or reading our Bibles, like listening to some teacher you really like to listen to, even rest or Sabbath. Like These things can become like a drug that we just medicate ourselves with instead of actually pointing us or connecting us in a life-giving way to God himself, right? Even some of the stuff we talked about in this last sermon series, right? We have seen where, where, where Christians or churches have sort of taken these practices that God has called us to do, things that are good, and we just kind of go through the motions with these things. And we feel like if we do them, God is happy with us, we're right with God, and we're not actually connecting with him in any way. We're just check in a box, all right? We have to watch out for the ways in which those things can sort of uh, create distance between us and God. It could be some gift that was given to us by him. Some, you know, something we saw as a gift that was given by God to be used by him at one point, okay? But where the gospel story, and you know, becomes God just giving us this material blessing, right? Could be a house, a family, a full bank account, or, or a job, or career, Something we acknowledge, this is a gift from God that he gave to us. That I, you know, maybe initially you wanted to use this as a, to use it as a gift, to share with others, to kind of use it as a way to bless other people. 
but it can sort of easily just become a sort of prosperity gospel for us, right? Where as long as we think the bank account is full, the house is nice, the family is happy, we're good to go, nothing can really go wrong. Okay, we become very concerned at that point with protecting these things, right? Um, and we're afraid if, you know, because we're afraid if we lose these things, like our sense of security or safety will go. And this is where a lot of like injustice or sin can kind of crop up, okay? But God's not a cosmic delivery system who we relate to by just making sure we're stocked up on these gifts, okay? That is not, that's not the point. It can be truth itself or, or scripture that we've come to know, right? Where the gospel story is just have the right opinion and you're one of God's favorites, okay? If we just have, you know, a lot of times we can tell ourselves, if we just have the right attitudes or beliefs or opinions or the right theology, it doesn't really matter what we do with them or what, how we actually live. We're just, we just hold the right truth. We hold the right opinion. And we're always going to be one of the good guys. Okay? That happens, that happens far more often, I think, than we realize. It might be some godly agenda. It might be some, something like this mission that we feel like a task that God has called us to, to do some good work in the world on behalf of God. But that starts to replace the actual mission of God, of coming and calling lost sheep to himself, of redeeming and restoring the world and making it brand new. And, and as we start to f- focus in on this one specific agenda, this one specific thing, you know, we start to be okay, like, you know, doing some pretty awful things to make that happen because we think this is the only thing that matters, when in reality, we've actually forgotten God. We've actually forgotten what God is really up to in the world. It can become our churches or other Christian institutions, things that, again, are established by God, rich in gospel history, but this institution itself becomes all that the members care about and not the kingdom that it represents. Where the gospel story is that God is doing something special or unprecedented or amazing in this church or movement. And by us just being a part of it, we're one of the special Christians because we're a part of something really cool that God is doing. I mean, if you look at like some of the scandals that happen a lot of times in churches, um, you, a big reason that they cover them up a lot of times or don't deal with them is, is because they're too afraid of this institution falling. They're, they think that if the you know, the institution is really what matters. And they're saying, you know, yeah, look at, you know, maybe this thing's kind of bad, but look at all the good stuff that's happening. And they kind of blind themselves to the fact that they're being like the people of Judah. They're putting up with stuff that actually is creating distance between them and God because they have sort of made this institution represent God as opposed to being something that uh, connects us to God. Okay? The security is in the success now of this institution or any of the other things I just talked about. And we have to do whatever it takes to protect that, often at the expense of doing things like uh, justice, mercy, love, and true worship of God. Now, all these things can cause us to miss who God is and what his good news actually is for us. And when that happens, I think God is willing to let these things fall, to uproot and t- tear them down so that he can hopefully build and plant himself in that place. Now, sometimes it can be hard to know if we're like, are we uh, putting our sense of hope or security or safety in something else other than God? And so I want to provide, you know when you go to the doctor's office and they make you fill out all those annoying checklists of like these like warning signs, they're trying to, you know, the doctor can look at and be like, oh yeah, you, we should look into this thing a little bit more. But they're, 
you don't actually know for sure if that's there, but it's helpful to have that on a list so you can check the box. Here's just a couple things, and I want to observe this from actually from the passage from Jeremiah 7 and 26, a couple of things that we can maybe look at for ourselves to see if maybe there is something deeper. Maybe I should probe a little bit deeper here um, towards this thing and figure out if I'm finding security or safety in the wrong place, okay? So two things I want to hone in on. Your fruit and your reaction to learning that something might be able to fail, okay? Uh, first off here, let's, let's just go back, and this is just a couple of sections. We read them already um, from Jeremiah, but just listen to um, what God is saying to them. Change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly. If you do not oppress the foreigner, the fathers, uh, fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and you do not follow other gods with your own harm, he's talking about stealing and murder and adultery and perjury, burning incense to, to other gods, okay? This is fruit, that God is looking at the people of Judah and saying, when I look at you guys, this is easy to see. This is all over. It's running rampant in your society. You're looking down on people outside of Israel. You're shedding innocent blood as if it doesn't matter. Theft, murder, adultery, lying, giving allegiance to other gods, other worldviews. This is normal among all of you. And God tells them that he's seeing this. This is the fruit. Now, John Golding, he's a, he's a commentator uh, on the book of Jeremiah. He sums all this up actually really succinctly. He says that they're failing to fulfill God's law of just uh, Jesus' command to love one another and love God. He wasn't seeing that fruit in them. He was seeing different fruit. Why? Why is this the case? Why is this popping up? I think it's this, okay? If our safety or our security comes from relying on something that we've talked about, and we just think, if this thing is here... Ultimately, I'm fine. I don't need to worry about any sort of sense of urgency to follow God in any other really robust way, okay? It starts to create a disconnect in our actions. We start to get lazy. We start to think these other things don't really matter all that much because this thing is in my life. That's all that matters. Okay, think about my relationship, all right? And I can say this, as long as I was in that and my security that everything was fine, was resting in that, as long as that was in my life, the, con- the conduct of my life, the purity of my worship and following after Jesus became le- less necessary, right? Because I didn't feel like I needed to do those things to really truly follow God well. This thing was already here. What, why did I need to follow that uh, very well? I think so often we rely on something else. It makes us feel safe and like we are kind of exempt from really following God in a deep sense. Okay? That safety in something else gives us the right to skimp on something that God has called us to do in what it looks like to actually be truly connected to him. There's no sense of urgency because we're living in some other gospel story we find a lot of times. So we put things like growth or justice or mercy or grace or humility, uh, love, faith, hope, the fruit of the Spirit, all these things that God has called us to do that says this is what it looks like when you're connected to me. This is the fruit that grows. We put those things in a box somewhere and we kind of view them as an optional bonus when we feel like it. We just don't think of them as super necessary. If you see a disconnect in your actions from loving your neighbors as yourself in a deep sense, a sacrificial way, like we talked about at the retreat this last weekend, and loving God as the king who deserves our full allegiance, or if you find yourself completely uninterested in real spiritual growth, it might be a sign that you're putting your security in something else. It's something to consider, something to prayerfully meditate on and ask God, 
is this true? Is my fruit is not matching up here? Is this why? Something to ask yourself. Now, another thing, the second thing on that checklist that I talked about is your reaction when the thing you find safety in is challenged. So in Jeremiah 26, we find out after Jeremiah delivers this message that people aren't too happy about it. When the officials of Judah heard about these things, they went up from the royal palace to the house of the Lord and took their places at the entrance of the new gate at the Lord's house. Then the priests, of the prophets said, priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, This man, Jeremiah, should be sentenced to death because he has prophesied against the city. You have heard it with your own ears. Okay, so Jeremiah delivers this message and the civic and religious authorities, they all kind of agree, this, this is not okay. You cannot say this. Okay, now just notice what they're saying and what they're not. They're not saying it's wrong. No one actually tells him, hey, this is wrong. God said this. They don't say that. All they say is, you can't say that. That kind, of, that kind of talk is prohibited. All right? It is not okay for you to say that stuff. So they decide, for that reason, to execute him. Now, don't worry, Jeremiah's fine. It's one of many times he almost gets killed in this book. Um, and he he's, you know, gets out of it, we find. We're not going to get into all that. But I want to focus on this reaction. It's very telling. The kind of talk that Jeremiah is proposing that that they have uh, put their hope and security in this thing and that God is willing to let it fail is totally prohibited. What they're saying is you cannot challenge my source of authority. That is off limits. That is not okay. How dare you? Okay? If you find yourself bristling at the suggestion that something is giving you security rather than God himself, like these Jerusalem officials are doing, that might be a sign that you've got your security in that thing because you have this fear of losing it. That's what, that's what that reaction shows, is you have a fear of losing this thing. Well, why do you have that fear of losing it? Is it because you have put too much stock in that thing? Okay? Um, we get defensive when that's the case. Okay? That's a normal human reaction. It's not a bad thing to have that reaction. Okay? But it shows us that we might have misplaced our hope and our security. And the irony here about all this is, let me just point this out real quick, is that the, the people were actually, they, they, they were doing this because they thought this will keep us safe, okay? But really what we find out is that they're actually, by clinging to this thing against all else, they're actually endangering themselves because by rooting themselves in something that wouldn't actually keep them safe. It was just a building. A building is not going to keep you safe when the Babylonian army shows up at your gates. God is the only thing that's going to keep them safe. And he can do it without this temple. He doesn't need this building here in order to do it. But they were putting their stock, their lot, into the building rather than the God who was actually supposed to be the one who lived there. Often our unwillingness to let go of the thing we think that gives us security because we're afraid of maybe disaster coming if we were to lose it, okay, disaster might come on us because we're unwilling to give it up. Okay, now remember though, okay, I, I, I talked about this in the first sermon, right? We've been talking a lot about what God is uprooting and tearing down through the words of Jeremiah here. I do want us to remind ourselves that God never does that without building and planting something. His, his uprooting and tearing down, it's not punitive, or it's rarely punitive. He does so out of love so that he can build and plant something new in its place. Okay, so while God was prepared to literally tear down the temple here, what was he willing, what did he want to build and plant in its place? 
Now, God does do building and planning in Jeremiah. We're actually not going to talk about that today. We will get into some of the, those ideas later on in the sermon series. But I do want to jump forward to another story where an, a prophet goes to Jerusalem and challenges the temple and people's reliance on it. And that prophet, you probably guessed, is Jesus. All right, so we have a couple accounts of this. In Matthew 21, 12 to 13, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. I don't know if you recognize that last line there, making it a den of robbers, but he's actually quoting Jeremiah from Jeremiah 7, 11. The people in Jerusalem now, in Jesus' time, are doing a very similar thing to what the people were doing in Jeremiah's time. And Jesus is calling their attention to that. Now, John's gospel gives us a little bit more info on what happens in this moment. And so John 2, Jesus answered them, uh, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Now, this is the rebuilt temple, okay? So, God, you know, he let the temple be destroyed and they rebuilt it again. Okay, this is the second temple. Jesus is coming and saying, hey, you know, 2.0, version 2.0, this thing can also fall. That's what they're talking about here. But they said, you know, it's taken us 46 years to build this and you're going to raise it again in three days. But the temple Jesus had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. So he says, like, this temple will be destroyed and I'll build it again. And just to, just to point out here, okay, John tells us like Jesus specifically meant his body, but Jesus, again, he's proven right just like Jeremiah did. A couple decades later, the Romans came to Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple again. So Jesus was not lying when he said, this, this place, it's going to get torn down again. It happened just like Jesus said, but he's more directly referring to himself and what will happen in the cross and resurrection. So here's what Jesus is doing. This is why this matters. He's uprooting and he's tearing down, again, the security of the temple. It is still not too big to fail. But what he's replacing it with, what he's building and planting, is himself. This is the one thing that will not fail. This is the one thing that God wants to ultimately build and plant in us when he allows things to fail. He wants to build or uproot and tear down things in our lives, but he wants to replace them, not with some other thing like that, but with himself specifically with Jesus. That's exactly what happened to me. I remember I talked about how I went through this long period of like after this breakup of like rethinking who God was, like letting God rebuild and plant. And I can tell you like the version of my faith, my understanding of who God was that came out of that was so much more robust and centered on Jesus. Like it is a pivotal moment in my entire life was dealing with that breakup and the story that I'd allowed to kind of replace the true gospel in my life and letting God rebuild uh, the, and plant the actual story of Jesus, replacing that thing with Jesus himself. It was hard. It felt like a crucifixion of sorts, right? Uprooting and tearing down, not a, not a fun process, all right? But the rebuilding and planting that happens there is so powerful and so important for us to have when God does that, okay? God will never tear down something in your life that he will not replace with Jesus and what Jesus is doing in the world. Okay, and so we can have some hope that even if we find ourselves challenged, even if we feel like 
yeah, maybe I got to check the box on a few of these things that we just talked about, of things that I feel like might be in my life. Uh, I'm putting my hope and security there. It might be a painful process to realize it, but God is going to replace that with himself, with Jesus, which will be something far more robust and far more worth putting our safety and security in than anything we would have put in it before. Uh, we're going to enter into a time of worship and uh, uh, communion here. Um, you ha- should have communion cups in front of you. Go ahead and grab those during the worship at any point. Um, and um, I'm going to pray for us as we do that. We will also have some prayer in the back. Maybe you have felt convicted. Maybe you felt uh, the Spirit kind of moving in you, causing you to ask uh, yourself some hard questions. If you want some prayer for that, we'll have someone in the back who'll be willing uh, to pray with you through that um, as well. And uh, in your community groups this week, we'll actually be talking about this too. But let me pray for us as we enter into that time of worship. Lord, thank you that you do uproot and tear down in our lives. You do uh, allow us to find out sometimes the hard ways that we're putting our security, our safety, our hope that we can, you know, go out and move in the world and feel secure in that um, in our lives in things that can't ultimately provide it, just like a, a building in Jerusalem, God. I pray that you would help us to know what those things are so that we can identify them and that you would help us to allow you to tear those things down so that you can replace them ultimately with Jesus himself. We pray all this in his name. Amen.